Welcome to the Government Huddle with Brian Chittister, a new podcast from Government Marketing University. My entire career has been dedicated to marketing in the government space. And in the beginning, I never cared about the why. I was completely focused on the how. It was all about the tactics, the analytics, the ROI, rinse and repeat. Then I decided I wanted to understand these programs and technologies the same way our customers do. It opened up a whole new world for me. And that is what this show is about, aligning the why with the how, taking a deep dive on current trends, making bold, educated predictions about the market, learning from expert guests, and discovering innovative concepts on how to respond to all of this. So join us as we talk about all things government marketers need to know about today, tomorrow, and beyond. Come on, let's huddle up. Welcome back to the Government Huddle Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Chittister, and I think you're really going to enjoy today's show. Recently, I read a COVID-19 industry impact report on the U.S. government and found a lot of useful information. So I wanted to bring on the show one of the analysts that offered the report to provide some of these insights to you guys. So today we have joining the show Adelaide O'Brien, a research director for IDC Government Insights. And I've sat on a few panels with Adelaide, and recently we worked on a future of government work paper together, and I'm always so impressed with the information she brings, so I think you all will be too. Adelaide, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hi, Brian. I'm great. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's great to be here today with you. Absolutely. I'm really glad to have you on and share some of your insights with our audience. Um, Why don't you give us a little bit of background of uh, what you're doing at IDC right now? Sure. So I'm an analyst at IDC, and as you indicated, Brian, I cover government. And what that means is I help agencies digitally transform. And so IDC, and and I'm going to give you our definition of digital transformation, but it's really changing the business model, right? So the areas that I help agencies think about is using technology such as cloud, big data, AI, and and machine learning, as well as, you know, all multi-channels for their constituents to really serve um, their, their constituents much better. Um, and, and so we've developed digital transformation uh, roadmaps for agencies and maturity models and, and such to really help them along their journey. Thanks for that, Adelaide. And I'm glad you gave the audience IDC's definition of digital transformation because I know I have been working with you for a while and a lot of our conversations are really built off of that. But also, that's what we're going to be talking about today. COVID has taken a toll on almost every industry around the world especially public sector. And I know we've spoken at length about how I see this as a draconian gap analysis that's really fueling the acceleration of digital transformation. So I'd love for you to touch on what you are seeing in that respect so far. Okay, so let me let me first get a little bit deeper on our definition because that'll help with, with how we see what's happening with agencies right now. So um, we do see digital transformation as applying some technologies such as big data, social business, mobility, and cloud. And it's basically, though, it's not just about the technology. It's about changing the way something is done. So for government, that means new business models, uh, getting information and services out to their constituents in a better and more efficient way. 
and the agencies that are doing this well are typically are doing this with a, a human-centered design-led view of their constituents as well as their employees. And, and again, you know, despite the digital moniker, we think of five elements that agencies need to be on path when they digitally transform. And these five elements are leadership. And that means not only having a vision and a mission um, and guiding the agency toward that, but also leadership needs to understand the ecosystem that the agency operates in now and in the future. And that's going to be critical for sharing information with ecosystem partners. Uh, work, workforce transformation, work source transformation, and that means getting um, all kinds of agile tools to allow your employees to make data-driven decisions. Um, the operating model, and that's digitizing everything and leveraging cloud so that you can share that information, you can respond to constituents faster. Uh, the other, uh, the fourth element is information transformation, and that's all about making data-driven decisions. And then finally, it's, it's having this whole multi-channel transformation, having consistent information available to your citizens and constituents, uh, no matter what channel they, they choose. Um, so when you think of that, and when we talk to our government clients and our survey responses indicate that 100% of the government responders say digital transformation is key to their agency. And, and we're seeing about 87% say, you know, they're currently starting to, to digitally, you know, transform or they will over, you know, the, the next couple of years. It, it's a journey and not necessarily a, a destination. Um, so what's interesting is during this pandemic, then, agencies that are, have already started this whole digital transformation journey, they, they have the leadership, they've deployed cloud, uh, they, they re-looked at um, you know, how they are their portals and how they're serving their citizens, you know, and they change that operating model, um, they're in much better positions than the agencies who haven't yet started. And, and that's what our government clients have actually told, told us. So uh, we're seeing cloud has enabled the federal, state, and local employees to move, you know, almost overnight from office workers to teleworkers. Um, and it's also enabled all kinds of government workers to collaborate. And that means, you know, sharing information, digital files, very securely sharing information with their ecosystem partners, um, and, and serving citizens appropriately uh, with all kinds of secure access um, to that citizen data. I'm glad you brought up constituent impact because citizen services at the state and local levels are certainly feeling a large impact from this pandemic. And we'll get to federal in a second because I know they have their own challenges too, but would love to hear what you are seeing at the more localized levels of government right now. Uh, yeah, well, Brian, you know, um, technology is going to play an incredibly important role, uh, especially in state and local um, provisioning their services. And, and this is in light of all the physical distancing practices um, that everyone has to, to adhere to right now. Um, so, you know, at the state and local level, they have to provide community-based care. They have to provide all kinds of, of ongoing essential services to their citizens and then also implement the practices to minimize the spread and exposure. Um, and, you know, when we think of this, too, the state and local government agencies, they're the ones who are really leading um, the whole help flatten the curve uh, effort to contain the virus and, and contain the spread. Um, and, and, and we know that um, many, many states are doing this. They're either peaking now or, 
um, you know, they don't expect then uh, um, to have as a severe case by, by taking on some of these practices. Um, but we, we, everything is, is pretty much fragmented now. And, and state and local governments are just facing all kinds of economic challenges, right? So first is to provide aid to all of their citizens in, in the state. They've got to provide relief. We see all kinds of food banks being set up. People are laid off. They've, you know, they've joined the ranks of the unemployment. Um, their, their, their constituents are facing financial difficulty. Um, and then on top of this, you know, the state and local communities are, are facing all kinds of financial difficulties um, and the loss of their own tax revenues. And, and these are from severely reduced fees, right? Uh, you've got the, the permits and the parking fees, all kinds of sales tax revenue, which disappeared overnight. Um, so we are seeing, you know, the, the, the federal stimulus package, the, the $2 trillion from the CARES Act, you know, is starting now to get out into the areas and into the communities. Um, but there, there's still a lot um, riding on the states and local communities to take care of the pandemic now, as well as give other critical services, provide other critical services to their citizens. I think you've heard me say before that uh, when I look at citizen programs, it kind of sits in the middle and there's two sides of the coin. You have the more externally facing programs, portals, et cetera, but you also have those back office components. And uh, earlier you touched on the ability for government organizations to be able to go from uh, office locations into telework and some more smoothly than others, but they, some most of them have that technology to be able to do that. Um, but the back office is so important. Uh, and I know you and I have talked about future of work, et cetera, but at the federal level, how are you seeing um, COVID impact, how they're getting their jobs done, especially teleworking right now? Yeah, so one of the things that, that we're seeing happening at the federal level, um, in addition to telework, you know, they've got to do many of the things that uh, the states are doing. For example, at Veterans Affairs, they have to provide health care to the veterans that are impacted by COVID-19. And these are in not only the VA hospitals, but the nursing homes. Um, we see agencies such as HUD, they've had to issue a 60-day foreclosure and eviction uh, moratoriums. And this is to really protect the vulnerable populations, right? So, so they've got additional work. Um, you know, we know that scammers prey on consumers in a time when many people are desperately seeking all kinds of help and, and financial assistance. And just for example, the Federal Trade Commission received, I think it was something like 17,000 coronavirus-related fraud complaints last week. And then you've got agencies like Customs and Border Protection, and they're seizing all kinds of counterfeit packages filled with fake COVID-19 test kits at the border, right? So, so they, they, are, they do see additional challenges, but agencies like, like OPM, they're starting now to, to really think about how they can help those remote workers. So one of the things, and I think you may have talked about this on a previous podcast, Brian, but you know, they recently advised agencies to virtually or remotely onboard new employees. And that's going to go a long way to getting, you know, folks up to speed to tell, help tackle some of this additional work. Um, and, and so part of that whole onboarding means you have to make those documents available electronically. New employees should also be able to electronically sign these documents. Um, and, and so the processes are starting to change to recognize there is a need to, to get 
key people working in these agencies and uh, you know the traditional uh, historical practices are not working in in the days of uh, social distancing and this this uh, pandemic virus right now yeah yeah that's right we touched on the federal government reevaluating what can and can't be digital and this obviously came from necessity and things seem to be going smoothly so far, um, but I would imagine that they'll take a look at the onboarding program once we come out of the other end of this and figure out kind of what worked, what didn't work. But are there other areas where you think necessity could push government organizations past perceived comfort zone like this onboarding program has? Yeah. So, you know, well, here's, here's when you think about telework, right? Um you know, the ultimate experience for workers would be, you know, they have a dynamic, agile, and smart work environment, right? And it may not even be bounded by physical location. Um, and an environment that would encompass all kinds of tools that would enable all workers, and they could act, access not only one-to-one, you know, but they could collaborate, you know, with some of the coworkers. They, they can contribute. They could, everything could be secure. However, most agencies were really not set up for this type of environment. So what we've witnessed, they've started and they've been scrambling to be able to have employees work remotely. So some of the challenges that that they told us that they face is, you know, one is this whole addressing digital equity, right, and accessibility. So agencies are starting to invest not only in business continuity, cloud is key for that. So that you know you can digitize your information and, and share it very securely, um, and and then also they, they need the network to enable the connectivity for this, right? Um, but but part of that also is you know just the difficulty in a, in in really assessing or working across different documents, and and that can impact not only workers but constituents as well. So you know. We, this whole idea of overnight going from office workers to teleworkers has kind of shown a light on, you know, it, it, there's an inability to efficiently to really get access to all data. The, also, sometimes agencies are saying their workers are have difficulty navigating working across too many different types of applications, right? Um, they may not be able to communicate not only with internal, but many agencies have external uh, ecosystem partners or partners or colleagues that they work with as well. So, so the agencies th- that we talk to that, that are recognizing that these are, are problems that are actually limiting um, the productivity of their workers and their ability to serve their constituents, they're starting to think about, you know, let's deploy tools that, especially if they're already cloud enabled, right? Let's deploy tools that facilitate collaboration, such as chat or, or video or virtual meetings. Um, screen sharing. Uh, uh, we've already talked about dig- digital signatures, right? Um, and, and also they're, they're starting to enhance citizens' interaction with government agencies, and th- that's by streamlining navigation, answering questions, and guiding citizens to achieve their goals, because um, for many citizens, that, that's the only way now that they're going to be able to, to access agencies, yeah, since offices are basically closed. I'm glad you touched on addressing digital equity and accessibility gaps because in the report that you put out, you touched on a few areas specifically impacting technology spend in public sector uh, in the midst of COVID. That was one of the ones that uh, piqued my attention. And if you think about the disparity between certain city sizes, you have New York City, 
who has the budget uh, of a large state, perhaps, versus a smaller city like Omaha in, in the middle of the country. Um, there's going to be a big gap in terms of digital equity there. Uh, but what are you seeing at both of those levels? So at, at the smaller state and local level, how are they keeping up with the flattening the curve initiative, as you touched on before? Well, you know, that, that's a really good question, Brian. So um, one of the things that, that we're looking at is, you know, when you think about the CARES Act and there's, what, $2 trillion of funding, and that is to help them in, in help states and, and localities, you know, um, uh, stem the tide of, of COVID-19, right, as well as help America recover and get back to work. So, you know, some of the questions that um, we think are going to be very, very important and they get to this equity issue is, you know, who in, in what communities and what states have actually been able to apply for the PPP loans, right, the, the payroll protection program to keep people working, um, you know, un until they're reopened again to pay those, those payrolls and those loans are, are forgiven, right? And, and has there been equity in how the loans were distributed? Um, did the communities of need have an equal opportunity to, to apply, not only for loans for businesses, for, but for help in, in COVID, right? Um, so one of the things that, you know, that, that we're recommending is, you know, all kinds of, of access to this data using machine learning to impact, you know, let's take a look at this CARES funding on such aspects as unemployment, bankruptcy, stemming the curve of the virus, uh, you know, uh, being able to support, you know, unemployment applications and have, you know, that the number of unemployed, uh, you know, gone down um, in, in all kinds of other applications. And, and, you know, we think it's important that, um, you know, the analysis be done by, good government groups, as well as agencies themselves, to understand if disadvantaged communities have the same opportunities as others to apply and receive all kinds of CARES Act funding um, and help them, their, their, their community, not only fight the virus, but also recover afterwards. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And you mentioned machine learning uh, in there. Uh, one of the triggers um, in your report as well that's acting as an accelerant is the rise in data analytics uh, by uh, government organizations. And I think we had already seen a rise uh, in their adoption of data and analytics into um, their decision-making um, as they move forward at all levels of government. But how are you seeing data analytics being used now post-COVID? And how is that really going to accelerate digital transformation? Wow. So we, we are absolutely seeing it, it used in almost all levels of government, Brian. So, um, you know, it, we're starting to see it move from say, the theoretical to actually critical tools. And, and at the same time, we're starting to see it move from chatbots to actually data-driven decisioning, right? So, so you know, agencies and, and health healthcare workers are starting to use it to identify hotspots. And right now, one of the, the biggest areas of using it is contact tracing. And this will help not only understand, you know, who's infected, but also reach the people who are exposed to those who are infected to prevent further spread. Um, the, the other area um, that, that is going to be critical um, for AI will be for, you know, the federal government, the state and the local government to really pay attention to, you know, the use of the funds and if they're used for what they're intended to prevent fraud, waste and abuse. Um, we saw this with, with the, uh, 
the last uh, major expenditure, the Recovery Act of federal funds here in the United States, um, and uh, very, very um, uh, committed and aggressive uh, 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 communications between the federal, state, and local governments, and you know, tracking the spending of that money to make sure that that money went for its intended pur purpose. Um, we're also seeing you know, the use of the data, and, it, and it's great that it's being shared. Um, we've seen the John Hopkins COVID-19 dashboard, and, and this is an amazing, if you haven't gone there, you might want to look at it. It, it aggregates real-time data, um, and this is helping agencies at all levels make decisions, right? It helps alert them as to what's happening and, and maybe analyze what's happening in, in some of the other states and communities um, that are on the downward slope of, slope of this. Um, so anyway, so, so we think that, that in addition to helping them get through this and understand it and where the hot spots are, um, as well as detect fraud, waste, and abuse, it would be great, it, you know, also to use this to determine how that the, the monies have helped in communities and individuals actually recover after the fact. No, I, I love that you brought up the fraud, waste, and abuse angle of this because digital trust is another component that is paramount to government it's also another key accelerant you've listed in your report that I wanted to touch on. And just because we're in the middle of the pandemic doesn't mean that goes by the wayside. Have you seen organizations being able to keep up with this ask right now? Well, you know, at the federal level, OMB came out with, and there are some requirements in the CARES Act of reporting. And then uh, I think it was April 10th, OMB came out with some further instructions of how agencies are to report. Um, and, and there's also... Um, in the law, and again, in the OMB uh, memo, they set up a group of uh, uh, inspector generals. Um, and as you know, the last time during the, the Recovery Act, uh, we also had a similar group uh, take a look at how the spending, what, what, you know, the flow of the dollars, where it went, that type of thing. And, you know, so we do have some oversight built into the law. We have it built into some of the, um, the requirements that are sent out by uh, OMB. Um, and I think one of the things that, that's going to be critical, too, is agencies share information because, uh, Brian, I'm sure you're aware and the listeners are aware, a lot of times bad actors will, will try out a scheme, you know, it, it, when it comes to fraud. And, and then, you know, once, they, once they're detected, they'll go to another community, another location, or, or try the scheme, you know, in a different format. So I think communication, as, as people are, are um, finding that, you know, fraudsters are at work trying to get that, that money that's to go to individuals, to businesses, and to help fight this virus. I think that's going to be very critical. And then I think it's going to take a while for us to really understand the impact of this funding. And, and what's important is not only to look at it, you know, from an equity perspective, from a recovery perspective, but also to understand what worked well. And, and should we be in another pandemic, um, we can use this as a blueprint for, you know, understanding, you know, what types of stimulus are helping the communities and the individuals and the families and the healthcare workers the most, um, so that the next time we're faced with something like this, you know, we can move very, very quickly and, and kind of like know, know best practices and best outcomes. I think that's a really important point because uh, in the accelerant we mentioned earlier, uh, in terms of usage of data and analytics, it's going to be important for organizations to look back at what they did during the pandemic. And like you said, what worked, what didn't work, 
Um, and we're seeing it in the private sector too. I was talking to a coworker the other day, the amount of innovation that's happened on video conferencing platforms within the past month. And you've had a rebranding of one, you've had a, a merger situation of another and multiple different innovations coming out um, just to ensure that they're keeping up with what the demands are with uh, with consumers and professionals out using them. So I think it's been a giant beta test, honestly, but the ability for us to look back and figure out what worked, what didn't work, and really make uh, insightful changes is going to. Um, and as a marketer, I've been excited to ask you this question. Um, because I know in the report and I read, I read through it and I, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, some of your insights into this, but you listed out some technologies that are going to be winners post COVID uh, and the ones that are going to be slated for the largest impact within public sector um, as they move forward. Would love to get your insight if you could on some of those and how the technologies are going to really affect the public sector moving forward. Yeah. So yeah, thank you for that, Brian. And and you know, um, in, in not only is this you know a, a major pilot or a beta test of some really exciting technology and tools, but um, my hope is that in many ways we don't go back to business as usual. Now that that we know how to use some of these tools, especially the the collaborating tools, right? Um, that agencies think about that it, it, because they're so efficient. Um, and, and, you know, sharing information is so powerful. So, so let me talk a little bit about who, where the, the technology that we think will be thriving as a result of this. And so it, it's basically public communication platforms and, and CRM automation tools like chatbots and all kinds of self-service forms with information and, and guidance uh, to, to constituents in filling out the forms, Q&A forms, that type of thing. Um, cybersecurity spending, you know, one of the things that's so important, and, and this actually came out with guidelines, you know, for all federal employees, you know, to, to, really, you've got to keep everything secure. Um, and, and you know, you, you've got to keep the laptop secure. Um, you have to have all kinds of, you know, a, you know, asset management policies and ensure the employees are aware of all kinds of vulnerabilities. And, and one of the things that's so important for the public sector, federal, state, local, is keeping personally identifiable information secure. Um, so that's just so, so important, not only, you know, to, to a key to the having the workforce connected, but also productive as, as well as not compromising any citizen trust that, that their information is, is going to be divulged or, or stolen. So cybersecurity, this would be for mobile devices, edge devices, network security, um, very, very important. Cloud services, we've talked about that. That is just so critical. And it's the underpinning of digital transformation. And let me repeat, the agencies that we've talked to who have started their cloud journey, they are doing so much better. They can uplift, they can add, they can add all kinds of apps than the agencies who are, are not as fortunate to be on that cloud journey. Um, so, you know, it allows them a nice ramp up and expansion of services right now. Uh, we're going to see some, some investments in new infrastructure, uh, including 5G. Uh, we're also going to see agencies start to invest. We talked about AI. Um, and, uh, you know, this is really some areas where 
um, before maybe AI was just, you know, the scientists, we know the scientists are using it now to help find vaccines and, and all kinds of, of other things, but agencies are realizing it's a very, very powerful tool they have and can help, help, help them make decisions. Um, you know, so we're actually seeing that move from the theoretical to critical tools. And we've talked a little bit about using AI for hotspots, contact tracing, and prevention of fraud. So those are areas that are very, very important right now. And we think once agencies are exposed to how they can use that, they'll continue to use AI for other decisions. Um, so again, and I, I don't know if I've touched on all the telework remote working tools. We've talked a little bit about this during the, the podcast, but all kinds of unified communication tool and collaboration tools, PCs, tablets, smartphones, soft phones, uh, especially for federal workers, many of the contact centers were, were closed and, and workers had to use uh, soft phones on their PCs. So those are the areas that we know um, and believe that agencies are going to be spending money on. Definitely lots to digest there and some really great insights I think our audience can take away from today's episode. So thank you for walking through all that with us. Before we wrap up, are there any closing thoughts you wanted to leave our listeners with? Well, yeah, so thank you, Brian. And, and it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. And, you know, I've been thinking about that. And, you know, expect agency spending priorities to shift and possibly dramatically, you know, as they start, you know, changing um, their focus from, you know, taking care of the citizens to, to taking a look at their budget and then getting back on track, right? Um, so, you know, uh, there might be some non-essential business closures and, and the tax revenue at, at the local level might be impacted by this. So one of the things that's important is to try and take a look at that if you're looking at your community or state by state level, because there's not going to be a broad brush. And this is where understanding your, your government clients, where they are, you know, how they're doing on their budget and what their priorities are is going to be so important for success in the future. Um, and we think some, some may change their risk uh, profile for some technologies. And so, you know, the agencies that may have had, say, large ERP upgrades, you know, in their budget, they may delay them and, and start to um, take a look at scaling some other apps on cloud or new technologies during the crisis period and may continue to do so for some time after. Um, so, you know, we're, we're thinking this could affect consulting and IT service providers. Uh, they might have to start to ramp up, accelerate different timelines uh, for work being done, especially anything that's mission critical. The other thing that I think is going to be very important is, you know, easy to deploy will be key. And this is especially for smaller agencies and local governments, because they typically, they already have, lack the staff to, to customize anything and they don't have the expertise or resources. So, you know, I would stress ease of use in any of the applications, as well as quick payback. And, and those might be areas that they'd be very interested in. And then last but not least, you know, the final, final thought here is be civic-minded um, and, and showcase your organization's capabilities on your website. And, and also indicate what, what you're doing as a company uh, to keep your own employees safe and, and productive. And uh, Brian, I have to hand it to you. Open Text, I think, has just done a great job in showing that on your website. Um, so that, to me, is very, very important because it says you're committed not only to serving your government clients, but your own employees. 
and that you understand what they're going what they're going through. Um, and, and, and that can help you deepen your relationships with your existing customers. Um, by, and you can do that by actively offering them any kind of support or advice or what lessons you've learned as you've supported in your own company, maybe your remote workers. Um, and then we're also seeing some companies offering some free services for limited time uh, and a scope. So if, if you're doing that, make sure your clients know and your prospects know that you have that. So, so those are the types of things. And I think the most important thing is, is you know, understand your, your customer, have empathy for where they are and, and think about their challenges and, and let them know how you can help them get through and, and really um, succeed in their goals and, and produce the kind of outcomes that they really want to accomplish. Thank you again for joining us today, Adelaide. There's so much instability and so many unknowns right now in the government space, and it's just become so important for marketers to have a pulse on what's really happening so we can respond with solutions that can really, truly help our customers. And you've provided that to us today. So again, thank you. For those listening, thank you for joining us today. Please reach out and connect with Adelaide on LinkedIn. She's an amazing asset and can really help you. And also feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter at ChittisterAB. This has been the Government Huddle Podcast with Brian Chittister. Be sure to check out other episodes at gmarku.com or on Apple and Google Podcasts or on Spotify. Bye for now.